as they uh, as they dig in and keep on learning about God's word, and uh, and we're going to spend some time in big church learning about God's word. Is that okay? Where's the excitement like the children? Woohoo! Yeah, okay. You guys wanted to be children, so we're trying this, and we're going to uh, we're going to dig through this series that we started uh, two weeks ago. This is week three, and we're continuing the series called Disciple, where we're learning to be real followers of Jesus. We're learning what it looks like to be real followers, to be a real disciple. Man, it must have been easy. I keep wrestling through this. It must have been easy. For the early church to understood what it, understand what it means to be a, a real disciple. Because either A, they heard about Jesus and they knew who he was. Or B, they had the apostles there. And these guys are the guys who, who lived with Jesus. So they could teach them. And, and now we fast forward how many years later and, and we're trying to learn what it means to be a disciple in this uh, time, in this a generation in the 21st century in 2015 in Inglehart, Ontario. Uh, what does it mean to be a disciple? And this is something that we've been wrestling with. This is something that over the last couple of weeks we've been wrestling through. What it really means to be a disciple. You know that word is used in the church. We talk about it. We read about it. We talk about understanding that we are like pupils. Like we are like students learning from a teacher. And the teacher isn't necessarily the pastor. The teacher is Jesus. And we're learning what it means to follow Jesus. To actually be like Jesus. To live a life that is fully devoted to following Jesus as our Master, as our Lord, and as our Savior. So this whole series, we've wrestled through and we're wrestling through to figure out how to be a, a real follower of Jesus. comes out of this verse in Acts chapter 2. And, and as the Pentecostal church, we love Acts chapter 2. I love reading Acts chapter 2. I mean, the day of Pentecost, the day that the Holy Spirit came, the day that the apostles gathered in the upper room, began to speak in tongues, and really began to transform the culture. I love this chapter. And at the end of it, after we've read about this incredible moment in the upper room, after we've read about this incredible sermon that Peter preaches and never studies for it. I don't know how he did it. Never studied for it. He just got up and preached. I couldn't imagine doing that. Some of you might be scared if I did that. And he just stood up and he began to preach away. And, and it says that after there were 3,000 that gave their life to following Jesus and were baptized and added to the church. 3,000. Wow. 3,000 people added to the church, plus the 120 in the upper room. We've talked about this, you know, like 3120 are there. And then we get the next verse after we hear about this that tells us that they, being those who got saved and baptized, those who were transformed in the beginning of the early church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the word of God as the apostles, those who were with Jesus, began to tell them about what he had taught, how he had lived, began to teach them and, and educate them so that they could become disciples of Jesus. They devoted themselves to God's word and to fellowship. We talked about that last week. And to the breaking of bread and to prayer. 
that these four markers are so important and essential to being a disciple, to being a real follower of Jesus, that we, here and now, in the church today, if we could grasp this, if we could grab hold of this and begin to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching or to the Word of God, and we talked about it in week one, about discipleship, that we not only think that just because we come to church that we're going to grow spiritually. That not only because we own one of these and it may be dusty and it may be sitting under the coffee table that we grow spiritually, but that it doesn't just happen automatically, but that we actually have to work at it. That we actually have to open it up and read it. And the best part is that we have a God who wrote it that can help us understand it. How good is that? This idea of being devoted to apostles' teachings, the Word of God, to discipleship. And then last week we talked about being devoted to fellowship and we began to define the Word just a little bit more that it isn't about the coffee, the donut, and the hey, how you doing. That it's more than just that. That there needs to be depth to this. That it's about us as the church, rubbing shoulders with each other, being involved in each, each other's lives. And when we have true koinonia, which is what this word uh, in, is, is, as we've translated English, it's the word koinonia, and we've translated it to fellowship, means that it's about this depth and authentic relationship. That it's about substance, that we learned about the fact that we are, need to do life together. We need to be devoted to doing life together where we can help each other in times of need. The church became the church when Pastor Andrew and, and Ashley called and says, we, we, we need to take Ethan, our Judah, up to the hospital. And the church responded and says, well, what do we need to do to help? And we took Ethan in to care for him. And we looked after, we were doing life together. When they're walking through something that the church is coming alongside to walk with them, that's true fellowship that's being devoted to fellowship doing life together and this morning we're going to talk about one of those subjects that's close to my heart one of the things that i believe is so important in our lives as we serve christ as we serve the church and it's kind of tying to this breaking of bread which was the teachings of Jesus, which was the life that Jesus lived, and the fact that He served everyone. That He served, and He served, and He served. And this morning I want to talk to you about the idea of serving. What it looks like for us to serve. I am a firm believer that when we were called to this life, of serving Christ, when we, when our hearts were awakened, when we were made alive in Christ, through, 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 sorry, made alive through Christ, made alive in Christ, that, that He called us at that moment to serve. And that we are to serve people. We're to serve God and we're to serve others. And we're to love God and we're to love others. And I believe that, that and part of my wiring is that we serve no matter what. We serve we serve, we serve if we want to, we serve if we don't want to. Uh, we serve whether it's in church or whether it's with our families or whether it's in our communities. I, I, I'm kind of naturally wired that way. I think we all are in some way, shape or form. And we just need to find the outlet in which we can serve. 
And I want to talk about that this morning. So let's, let's get, dig into this. If you have your uh, program and you want to turn to the fill in the blanks, you want to grab your Bibles, we're going to study mostly in Matthew, but we're going to flip around to a few spots as we get going. Matthew chapter 20. But here's the idea. We want to talk about serving. And, and I want to have a conversation with you about how it, what it looks like to be a servant, what it looks like to serve, what it looks like and how it helps us to become a real follower of Jesus, to be a servant. You see... The first thing I would say is this. I think that we are created to serve. Like part of our nature is to serve. Part of who we are is to serve. We're created, we're called, we need to serve. To serve people. We had uh, a few from, our, from this church serving our students yesterday at the Amazing Race. Giving up their afternoon to serve students. Why? So they could experience a great day, but at the end of it, they could experience God's love in all of it. That we just want to serve because we've been created and called to serve. Listen to what Paul writes in Galatians. He says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. So you're called to be free, okay? You're called to be free. Free from what? The bondage and oppression and the sin life because of Christ. But you're called to be free. But don't use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Don't use that freedom to to satisfy the flesh, the the me, the I wants, I have to have. You know, I need to have the bigger this, the bigger that, this, all of this stuff. Don't, Don't indulge your freedom. Don't use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Rather, rather, instead of that, flip it around and serve one another humbly in love. Serve one another. Why? We're created to serve. We're called to serve. Serve one another humbly in love. We didn't even use this one another in last week when we talked about true fellowship. But we're called to serve one another. We're called to serve one another. Now, I'm not convinced that this ends in the church. I think this goes beyond the church. And I think when it goes beyond the church is when we begin to show God's love to a community. We become a disciple. When we start serving others, when we start serving others humbly in love, then people begin to see God's love through us. When we start serving our neighbors, you know, you see them pull in and they have two kids and they try to carry the kids inside and they have a trunk full of groceries and instead of just sitting on your deck watching them, you actually go and help them. Serve. Serve. Serve one another humbly in love. We're created. We're called to serve. And this this is a cool piece of it. Now, there's been a, a number of discussions around this, so we'll kind of play this through a bit. But faith is demonstrated by our service. Faith is demonstrated by our service. Now, there's some arguments as we start hearing this, you know, like, well, you can't earn it. Well, let's let's talk about this, okay? Let me just play this out because it's two points in which we're kind of battling back and forth. But faith is demonstrated by our service. See, once we've become saved, once we've experienced God's transformation in our life, that transforming power, we've become alive, then our faith in Him is now executed when we begin to serve. Look at what James writes. He says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? 
Can such faith save them? Now, this is post. This isn't in the middle of... uh, This isn't wrestling through your your salvation moment. This is after you've had this encounter, this experience. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? There's this challenge that's at play here. Can such faith save them? He continues on to say, In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by actions, is dead. Faith by itself, if not accompanied by actions, is, is dead. I mean, he started on this, this conversation, and then he's brought in this uh, great moment of history that, that the Jews would understand. It's this story of Abraham and how he took Isaac. You know, faith would say, yes, that I believe that God can do it. But just faith without action, when God had called him to do something... Would have meant nothing. If, if, God, if Abraham, just think about this for a second. If Abraham would have taken Isaac and walked with him and says, Yeah, you know, God told me to take Isaac and put him on an altar and to sacrifice him. It, it, I have faith that God would protect my son. But if he did nothing about it when God had called him to do it, is that real faith? Yet when Abraham took Isaac and put him on the The altar in Hebrews tells us that he believed that even if his son died, that God could bring him back to life. That he had faith with actions. In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by actions, is is dead. It's dead. This faith is demonstrated in our service. He finishes this thought with, you see that a person is considered righteous by what they do, not by faith alone. Serving is a fruit of, live, of a living faith. Serving and living out and doing good deeds is a fruit of living faith. James is saying that your faith is seen by the way you serve. I'm not talking about the establishment of it. Because Paul talks about that. That we're not saved by works, we're saved by grace. But once we're saved and we have faith then we are called to action. James challenges us to see that God requires serving or good works for those who are in His kingdom. Not being a part of His kingdom. To be a part of His kingdom is grace. That God, that we're made alive in Christ. That's becoming a part of the kingdom. But once we're a part of the kingdom, then we are challenged and required to do good works or to serve. To serve others humbly in love. That it's this challenge that begins to be put forth. That our faith is demonstrated in our service. It's not about establishing it. It's once it's been established that now we're called to serve. And we we show our faith by whether we are willing to serve or not. We show who we trust or what we don't trust. James challenged us to see that God requires good works or serving for those who are in the kingdom. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. Faith and what they do, not just by faith alone. So this leads us to this point and understanding that true serving carries the right attitude. True serving carries the right attitude. Many people can perform the same actions as you or as me, but in the wrong attitude. 
and it can be perceived in a totally different manner. I have uh, had high school students, and this generation loves to serve. They just want to be a part. They actually, I think that this generation wants to solve every, solve world hunger, world problems. Like, they want to serve. That's just the way this generation, each generation's wired a little differently. This current generation is wired this way just to serve, just to go and do whatever they can. The problem is there are some of them that want to go and do whatever they can so that they can be like, hey, look at me. And then there's others that say, hey, I just want to go and serve because God's called me to. I had a group of students, and we always challenged them to serve. We always challenged them to go and to do something and to serve. And, and we, so we sat with them, and I said, all right, what can we do? What service projects could we do? In my head, I'm thinking we could go to the local drop-in center, and we can scrub their toilets, and we can do behind-the-scene work. And here's what they said. Let's go downtown Cambridge and feed the hungry or feed the homeless. Let's go to Toronto and let's, let's feed and shelter the homeless. And I said, that is awesome. But why do you want to do that? You see, in the right attitude, it's the right action. But in the wrong attitude, it's all about me. True serving carries the right attitude. When they wanted to go and feed the hungry, they wanted people to see them. They wanted people to feel like they were doing something. When I was challenging them on the back end to say this, the right attitude comes along and says, I'm going to do the, the dirty work, so to speak, or I'm going to do the, the stuff that nobody recognizes, nobody sees, because I'm going to create in my heart a, a, an attitude of service, servanthood. So that when I walk into the, out into the streets and I hand someone a sandwich, I'm handing them not because I can go look at me, but I can hand it to them and say, God loves you. And my attitude is that of Christ's love. You see, serving carries the right attitude. In fact, Paul writes about this in Philippians where he says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ." Jesus, this Philippians 2 is a powerful verse. New Living Translation actually says you must have the same attitude that Christ had. And that attitude that Christ had was that he humbled himself and became a man. And we're going to read that later on. But this is significant. He didn't think about grasping onto this divinity, this this high position that he came to be like us. To serve us, you and me. He came to this earth. It's all about the the right attitude. And when you have that right attitude, it's the attitude that makes all the difference with our actions. It's that attitude. When we get that right attitude, when we have the attitude of of Christ, when we we begin to look at, at serving the way that He looked at it, and we shape in our hearts that attitude of serving, then we begin to... That makes all the difference with our actions. So when we go and hand out the sandwich... They see Christ's love. They don't see you. They see God in it. When we serve our community on We Love Ingleheart and Area Day, they see God's love, not look at this church or that church or, or look at us as people. When we serve students, when we do uh, children's programs with the carnival, and the, ch- the town begins to see that we just love people. And as they see that love, they see God's love poured through it, not because... Oh, the church wants a bigger name or brand in the town. When we get our attitude right, it makes all the difference with our actions. First John three sixteen and 18 says this. This is how we know 
what love is. Anybody remember the song? I want to know what love is. Well, let me tell you what it is. Love is this. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay our lives for our brothers and our sisters. It's our actions when our attitude is right. The attitude of Christ as he laid down his life for us. Our actions and our attitude says, I'm going to lay down my life for my brothers and my sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, doesn't care about them, doesn't try to help them, doesn't serve them, it says this, how can the love of God be in that person? Because when we get our attitude right, our attitude that makes all the difference, our attitude like Christ, we see that Jesus laid his life down for us, and we're called to lay our lives down For others, it says, then, dear children, let us not love with words or speech. Not just with words or what we say or how we speak, but, here's the important one, but with what? Actions and truth. When our attitude is right, it makes all the difference with our actions. Because people begin to see not you, but they begin to see God through you. Serving is so important. Serving is giving ourselves to another in practical way with no agenda other than showing them God's love. No agenda. I'm not going to give you my possessions so that you're going to give them back to me. No, I'm going to give you because you need and I'm serving you and I'm going to show you God's love. Serving. Serving is so important. True serving carries the right attitude, the attitude of Christ. And that attitude makes all the difference in our actions as we go to serve. As we go and serve. So here, here's what we're going to do with the remaining time. We're going to talk about this. I'm going to give you... Now, these, please, this is not a four-point checklist. This is four ways to become a better servant. Four ideas that I see when I look through Matthew chapter 20. It's kind of a, a bit of a, a study as we wrestle through it. It's four practical things. It's not the only thing. And then I'm going to give you some so what application once we finish this. So let's, let's go through this. Four ways to become a better servant because we all need to be better servants. If we're not serving at all, we need to become better servants. If we're serving, we need to become better servants. If we're serving all the time, we still can become better servants. We're always learning and always growing. So let's look at this. We have Matthew chapter 20 and we have this story where Jesus is teaching. He's been talking about different parables And he's predicted about his death and resurrection. So this has been a heavy moment for the apostles, for the disciples as they're sitting around with Jesus. They're talking like this tough challenge of a parable of workers in the vineyard. And it's like, okay, Lord, what does this mean? And then he says the challenging words which no no one ever wants to hear. He begins to tell them about the betrayal and death that he's going to go through. And these are his friends, his best friends. This is heavy. And then we get to this moment where Jesus begins to teach us about being a servant. He teaches us about being a servant. Listen, listen to what it says. It says this in verse 20. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked a favor of him. What is it you want, he asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left 
in your kingdom. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I am going to drink? We can, they answered. And Jesus said to them, You will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give His life as a ransom for many. Jesus teaches the most powerful lesson on becoming a servant because something happens and the heart of humanity is exposed. And then Jesus begins to teach. Very practical. Very pointed. Very significant. He gives us some ways. I'm going to suggest four to become a better servant. Here they are. First one is this. Check your motives. Not check you motives. I should say check your motives. But check you motives. It's kind of that slang. Check your motives. You see, here we have this mother of two boys. She comes to Jesus. And she kneels down and she asks for a favor, it says. It says these words. It says, Then the mother of Zebedee's sons, Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and, and what? Kneeling down, asked a favor of him. She comes and kneels down. She shows respect to who he is and his authority, but she kneels down and she wants this favor. And Jesus says, what is it you want? He asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. So she's, she's asking She's asking that these two boys would have this position of honor or authority. You see, she she comes to him with this wrong motive, the natural motive of human of humanity. I want to be seen. I want to to experience. I want to. Would you? And and she's probably thinking, I'm not doing it for me. I'm thinking of my boys. Would you put my boys in this position where everyone can see them? The motivation behind what we do dictates the way we serve. Remember, our attitude makes all the difference with our actions. We need to check our motives because our motives can get all mixed up. We need to check them. We need to make sure that we're not looking at it from our own perspective or our own benefit. It's really easy for us to get them out of whack, to be like these brothers, James and John, Interested in glory, position, or rank as opposed to serving genuine, real, true. They wanted to be the closest to Jesus, 
And they wanted to be higher than the other boys. And their mother was desiring their best for them, but their attitude was wrong and they needed to check their motives. If you and I want to become better servants, we first need to check our motives. Why are we doing it? Remember I talked about the students that wanted to serve the hungry, serve the homeless, because it was like this outward thing that people could see. But we need to develop in our heart that attitude to serve like Christ served. To check our motives. Listen, it may sound good, but I need to check my motives. Why am I doing it? I need to remove myself from the equation and my my position or 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 perceived glory from the equation and serve the way that Christ served. To, to, To become a better servant, we need to check our motives. Why are we doing it? I need to, to take it I need to take a, a pause and check my motives and I need to align my heart and my attitude with Christ. So the first thing, how do I become a better servant? Is to check my motives. Why am I doing it? What's driving me to do it? Is it me and my position or is it God and his heart? Second thing is this. Expect difficulties. No one likes this. But expect difficulties. Expect difficulties. When you become a servant and begin to serve, and you begin to serve like Christ served, with His love and His heart and His attitude, you can expect difficulties to come. Jesus said these words. He said, You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said to him. You have no idea what you're asking, do you? Can you drink the cup I am going to drink, He says. You don't, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. They jumped on this. Oh, yes, yes, we can, we can. And Jesus said to them, You will indeed drink from my cup. You will indeed drink from my cup. But to sit at my right hand is not for me to grant. These Places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. Jesus saying, listen, guys, essentially saying, do you know what you're asking? Are you really sure you can do what I'm going to do? When Jesus talks about this cup, he's talking about the suffering. The suffering that he's going to endure. Remember, he says in the garden before, he says, "Lord, uh, Father, if there's any way, would you take this cup away from me? This suffering. And so Jesus is saying to them, are you, are you sure you can handle the suffering? The suffering that I'm going to... And, and these two boys, eager and excited and just passionate and loving, they say, absolutely we can. And Jesus says, well, when you become my servant, when you become my disciple, you will face suffering or difficulties, affliction, challenges. You will. You indeed will drink my cup. That we can expect difficulties when we begin to serve. So when we're serving and we're loving people and we're getting yelled at from other people, we can expect the the resistance, the challenge. But we can embrace it because we're showing God's love in it. How do we become better servants? We check our motives. 
We expect difficulties. Number three, we do this, we put others first. Oh, that's easy. Yeah, you're right. You're right, it is easy. But look at the ten. Look at how the ten reacted. Remember the the ten others that were watching James and John try to position themselves in authority? Listen to what they did. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. They were furious. They were mad. This is a natural response. They were upset with the two brothers because they were trying to weasel their way into a position and they were starting to swell up the same um, attitude that these other two had about trying to get this glory position. These two are getting mad because they're getting recognized or think they're getting recognized and the heart becomes not the same attitude of Christ. So we've got to put others first. It's, 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 it's natural in our own humanity. It's natural in our own way of thinking to look when someone else is getting something or doing something wrong that we begin to point it out in them instead of looking to us. And then we change our attitude. But we have to put others first. Jesus didn't end it here after these two were mad and the story was over. No, he said, Jesus called them together. He brought everybody together. He said, listen, guys, there's something that you need to hear and learn. And here's when he begins to unfold the power of serving. He says, you need to hear this. There's something you need to do. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, that they are in control, that they make sure that everybody knows that they're in control, and their high uh, officials exercise authority over them. They they try to be this top-down pressure, put all this weight on, and Jesus says these four words, not so with you. As he's looking at the apostles, as he's teaching them about serving, he says, it's not so with you. Stop looking at the other two. You two, stop thinking about glory and power. You ten, stop looking at those two, thinking that they're weaseling their way into a better position. Not so with you. Counter-cultural, not so with you. Instead, he says, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be great must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. And he flips this story around quickly. He says, listen, stop worrying about what other people are doing. Start putting other people first. Check your motives. Expect the difficulties and the challenges to come. But then put others first. Put others first. Put others first. And the disciples are learning about the kingdom here. They're learning about how this works. And this conversation goes totally against everything that they understood. And isn't that the way that it normally happens? It's counter-cultural. God's ways are not our ways. And there's this contrast between what we think we should do and God's ways. There's this contrast between these Two ways, our ways and God's ways. As we read through Matthew, we see these different points, and I'm just going to highlight them quickly. To gain your life, we must lose it. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life will find it. It's this opposite way of thinking, thinking that if we want to gain gain our life, that we must get, get, get. No, if you want to gain your life, you must lose it. 
saying this, that to experience eternal life, you must have faith like a child. And Jesus said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. These contrasts in the way that we think to receive, you must first give. As we read in Matthew 19, Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor. Go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasures in heaven. Then come follow me. It's all this contrast in the way that we think and the way that God thinks. To be great, you must be a servant as we read already. Not so with you, Jesus said. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. That there's this contrast when, when we learn and we talk with God that he's saying, listen, it's not about what you think. It's about putting others first. If you want to gain your life, you must lose it. If you want to experience eternal life, you must have faith like a child. To receive, you must first give. To be great, you must be a servant. It's this countercultural way of thinking. So how do I become a servant, I, a, a better servant? I check my motives. I expect difficulties. I put others first. And I follow the example of Jesus. I follow the example of Jesus. The last verse in chapter 20, verse 28, sorry, not the last verse in chapter 20, but the last verse in this section that we've been reading says this, just, Jesus says, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. We follow the example of Jesus. He didn't come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. This verse has become very uh, precious in a lot of Christians' hearts. Jesus is teaching us the essence of greatness. The essence of greatness is determined by our servanthood. And true leaders, true followers of Jesus, true real disciples place his or her needs last and puts others first and follows the example of Jesus. You see, Jesus wasn't focused on keeping his position and getting more and more and more. In fact, when we read in Philippians chapter 2, we get a whole different picture. When it says this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude, verse 5 says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, verse 6, being in very nature, God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being formed in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death 
on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The example of Jesus was about putting others first. Not about me being elevated to a position, but me coming to serve and to serve and to serve. Because the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve others and to give His life as a ransom for many. What is true? True love is this. What is love? Love is this. That Jesus gave His life for us and we're to give our lives for others. To serve and to love. How do I become a better servant? Check my motives. Expect difficulties. Put others first and follow the example of Jesus. That sounds so nice. So, how do I live this out? And I'm going to share with you, and I've shared this a couple times, but I'm going to share this with you because it's been stirred on my heart and it's been wrestled in me and I've shared it with our with our volunteers or our servants our leaders and if you've heard it I want you to hear it again because it's so powerful and it's these two simple words serve anyway serve anyway serve anyway catch this this phrase can mean two different things and I think this is how we can live this out how we can be a servant when we check our motives Expect difficulties. We put others first and we, serve, and we follow Jesus' example that we serve anyway. And this is how we can live it out day after day after day. We serve anyway. The first one, listen and catch how this phrase is. Serve, and you can capitalize this, any, A-N-Y, way. Serve any way. Serve any way. Emphasizing the word any. But I don't feel like it. Serve anyway. But I'm tired. Serve anyway. What does that look like? Find a way anyway. It doesn't matter how you're feeling. You serve anyway. You serve anyway. We see this in the life of Jesus. We serve no matter how you feel. You serve even if you don't want to serve. But you serve. You check your motives. You get yourself back in the place where you put others first. You think about Jesus and you serve anyway. Jesus In the upper room, we read about it in John when he went. And it says all this great stuff. And he knew who he was and he knew what was happening. He knew where he was going. And he knew that all of this was happening. Yet he still chose to pick up a basin of water and a towel. And to sit down at the feet of the apostles and wash their feet and serve them. Even though he knew who he was or who he is. Even though he had all of this stuff, even though that he knew it all, he served them anyways. And after he had washed their feet, he looked at them and he said, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Now we know that Jesus is perfect. And we know that he probably never wrestled with the thought of, but I'm better than them. But he's saying, I set an example for you because he knows that our heart would say, but I'm a little better than my workers. 
serve them anyway. But I'm a little bit better than, than my neighbors. Serve anyway. But I'm a little bit, but my, my, serve anyway. And it grabs, it grasps our heart. It grips us. If we think about this word and the emphasis on any, that it doesn't matter, I'm going to serve anyway. Even if I don't feel like it, I'm going to serve anyway. And I'm going to follow the example because Jesus said, I have set you an example. He washed the disciples' feet that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if what? You do them. If you serve anyway. If you serve anyway. I've set an example. Follow my lead. Follow my lead. Serve anyway. Now let's look at it the other side of it. Serve any way. What does that mean? However, anyway. How should I serve? Anyway. Well, what, what, what can I do? Anything. Serve any way. I would challenge you this way. Find the things that you love to do and serve people in that. I love hockey. And I consider it a privilege to serve novice age kids, seven and eight year olds, to teach them how to play hockey. But I'm hoping that as I'm serving them and I'm serving their parents, that they see that I'm teaching them life skills and that I'm showing God's love to these kids without maybe even saying a single word other than just serving because I'm passionate about it. Serve anywhere where you're passionate. Serve any way. Maybe it's food. Maybe it's phone calls. Maybe, maybe it's simply this. Maybe it's going on Facebook and it's sending someone a message because you know they're going through something and just saying, hey, is there anything I can do to help? Can I make you dinner? Can I drop off a movie? Can I pick something up from the grocery store for you? Find the things that you enjoy, the things that you love and serve anyway. Make your life about always looking to serve people around you. Serve wherever and whenever you can. You're in the grocery store. Carry their bag of groceries for them. I'm just trying to think of practical things. Serve any way you can. Jesus says these words in, in the Gospel of Matthew. He says, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. What he's saying is, Go above and beyond. Go above and beyond. If, and this was really a thing about the, like the Romans, the oppression they were under, were, were forcing them to carry their stuff. And he's saying, you know what? If they ask you and force you to carry it one mile, carry it too. Go above and beyond. And I had a pastor say these words, and I shared it with our leaders, is this, that in the first mile, in the first mile they see you, but in the second mile... They see Jesus. Because our culture stops here. But when we serve any way and we go here, they see Jesus, not you. Worship team, would you come? How do we end this? Well, here's the question I want to leave you with.
How and where can you serve? And I hope the first words out of your mouth were, anyway. Serve anyway. Let it stir in your heart. How can we serve? Where can we serve? There are hundreds of opportunities within the church itself. We need children's workers. We want to launch a junior children's church. And we need people to serve infants, 18-month-olds to 3-year-olds. We want to keep our children's ministry going and our children's church going. And we need, we need parents and adults to step in to, to nurture and to train and to teach children and kids, in, in, in young kids between ages four and like basically JK and grades four. We need, we, there's lots of opportunities to serve within the church, but not just within the church. There's lots of opportunities to serve outside of the church. Next week on Saturday, we have the, the We Love Ingleheart and Area Day. And we need volunteers. We need people to serve our community. In fact, you can come out tomorrow night at 7 to the Good Shepherd and find out these different opportunities, whether it's at a kid's carnival whether it's at a princess, prince and princess tea, whether it's doing some handiwork in homes around our community, whether it's working in the grocery store. There are ways that we can serve, and I'm not trying to guilt you into serving because that's not what this is about. This is about you in your life becoming a disciple, a real follower of Jesus, following his example, which is all about serving and serving others. And I'm just challenging you to serve. Maybe your serving opportunity would be in the form of a missions trip. We're planning and we're preparing to take a team to Costa Rica in, in February. And there's a package at the back, but we, it, maybe that's an area where you can just dig your heels in and you can serve. In the church, outside of the church, in your whole life, how can you become a better servant? Church, I challenge you with these words. Serve any way. Serve any way. Serve any way. Serve any way. Let's pray this morning. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your challenge and, and, and just the, the, the life that you led for us. the example that you gave. Father, would you help us to see? Would you help us to walk? Would you help us to live our lives as servants, serving any way, even if we don't feel like it, serving any way, no matter whatever it looks like, wherever, whenever. God, would you help us? Would you help us to be servants? Would you help us to become fully devoted followers of you. Real, true disciples. Real followers of Jesus. So Lord, help us to serve. And help us to serve. To check our motives. To walk in this serving life expecting difficulties. But to putting others before us. To following your example. And to serve anyway. We thank you. God, I thank you for this morning. Would you have your way in the rest of this service? In Jesus' name, amen. Church, would you stand with us? We're just going to close with a song. We're just going to open our hearts and worship God in this place.
lift our lives before him. God, we thank you. Before I, we practice this song, I just kind of felt in my spirit that the next song is called Healer. And I just felt in my spirit that we should have anybody that needs a healing or has been healed to just declare that God is, is a healer. So if you feel free, come, come to the front. You hold it in 
Oh. 
that this morning. More than enough for me. Yes, we believe. Jesus, you're all I need. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord, that you are all we need. Jesus, you're all I need. Yes, that you're all we need this morning. Father, we thank you, God, that nothing is impossible with you. That there is no need that is too big that you can't handle. There is no hurt too great that you can't handle. God, that there is nothing that is impossible with you. And Lord, we come to you and hold on to the promise. And we believe that you are our healer. We believe that you are all that we need in our life. So Father, would you have your way in our lives? Lord, would you bring healing? Would you bring peace? Would you bring comfort and strength in Jesus' name? So Father, we thank you this morning. God, I thank you for what you're doing in my life and in our life as a church and as individuals. Father, would you continue to shape us? God, would you continue to help us to become real followers of Jesus, disciples, true, authentic disciples, devoted, devoted to discipleship, devoted to doing life together, devoted to serving and devoted to prayer. God, would you have your way in this place? Father, would you bless our food as we prepare to sit down and have a meal together and to continue to learn? God, would you bless our time, bless the food to our bodies, bless those who have prepared it, and give us a wonderful afternoon together in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. God bless you, church. Thanks for being with us this morning. If you want to join us for lunch downstairs and our journey classes afterwards, uh, food is on or should be all ready to go. So God bless you. Thank you for being here.